0: Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Uh, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be able to preach the Word of God and to be able to worship with you today. Uh, we are continuing on in a series, and this series has been called Grow Up. And the reason why we've been doing this is because we, as a church, we got together several years ago and we we did not know each other. Uh, My wife and I, we moved here in 2013. And when we started this church, we really, we actually did not know anybody in this room. We only knew a couple people that have moved here, but in New York City, we did not know anybody. And so as we started this church from scratch, we were allowing people to figure their lives out as we were figuring our lives out. And spiritually, As I've said before, we we are at all different places. But for us, as the people of God, the Bible says there was an old man that came to Jesus in the middle of the night, and this old man was told by Jesus, this very old man, he said, you must be born again. And when you come into a relationship with Christ, you start again, and so we had a lot of people getting baptized, a lot of people being born again, a lot of people, at their infant stage. Some people had been going to church for years. Some people had been Christians, but they really weren't walking with the Lord. And and so many people were starting again. But now we've been together three years, and we've been growing as a church. We've been growing spiritually. But I, I believe that it is my job to remind us that growth is expected in the Christian life. And it does not happen by just showing up in a facility. It happens because you are beginning to cultivate spiritual habits in your life. That you are taking steps of obedience and steps of growth. In the book of Hebrews, there was a community of believers that the author had written to, and he had heard about some of the things happening in the community. And he says, you know, after these three years, he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers by now, he says in Hebrews chapter five, verse 12. And when he was saying you ought to be teachers, he was not saying that you ought to be the person preaching. He was not saying that you had to have PowerPoint or that you had to have illustrations or that you had to have pie charts or graphs or that you had to be the person that was intellectual. What he was saying is, Over time, there should be a pattern of life that you have that people can follow. Somebody's got to say, Follow me. We can't all just be jacked up, broke, and say, Hey, this is a little old me. Someone's got to say, Follow me. And as you grow older in your walk with God, we're all called to be able to turn to people and say, Follow my pattern, I'm imperfect but follow my pattern of life. As we said that habits are tendencies that we cultivate over time. And we've talked about six other habits, but today I'm not gonna go through each habit, but the habit that we're talking about today, I believe is at the pinnacle. It is at the very core, you could even say, of growth. Before I tell you what that habit is, it's important that you understand the the backdrop of what it means to be a Christian. One day, Jesus was healing. He had been performing miracles, and after he had actually healed this man in his home, and he had performed these miracles, and all these people were actually following him, Jesus turns to them and says something very powerful to them. In Luke chapter 14, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And so all these people had been healed and they were following Jesus, and he turns around and all of a sudden he says, Let me help you understand. See, the cross was the highest form of death penalty, it was the most for the most egregious offense. And when he said cross, they understood that it was a symbol of death. And so, in our context, the cross would be the lethal injection. It would be a firing squad. It would be a beheading. It would be torture. And he says, ultimately, that I am going to bear a cross even though I've lived a righteous life. Even though I was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Even though I have lived a pure life, I still will have a cross. And they, the government, will actually conspire against me and I will bear a cross. And he looks to them and he says, whoever doesn't bear their own cross cannot be my disciple. And there, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was telling all the people he helped that you will have your own trial you'll have one day. You'll have your own cross that you will have to bear. And he says, if you don't bear your cross, you can't be my disciple. And the word disciple means learner, someone who learns of Christ. And so what he says is, if you do not accept the trials of following me, you can't learn from me. And and so this is what Jesus does. And I think that maybe we don't do this enough sometimes. Jesus says, he gives an analogy. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Now, I know we use that phrase, count the cost. You know, if you're going to leave your job, it's like count the cost. You know, consider the pros and the cons, right? That's how we use that phrase today. Jesus wasn't talking about leaving a job. He was like, figure out if you still want to follow me after what I just told you. Are you really sure that you want to follow me? Because I know it was easier when I was helping you but it's gonna be harder when I'm hurting you. When your life gets a little harder and you have these great trials that I'm allowing to go through your life. You see, brothers and sisters, the seventh habit is trials. How you respond to trials, that is the pinnacle of faith and growth in Jesus Christ. If you are going to grow, you are going to learn how to respond by faith through trials. And you will learn how to focus less about going through trials and you will focus more about growing through trials. 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 Deep, intense seasons of trials. And we all will have them. And the question is not whether we'll have a trial, the question is, how will we respond? What did you expect? When you first started following Jesus, what did you think it was gonna be like? You prayed, you were in a very deep, intense time, and God blessed you, he changed your life. He started doing miracles in your life. We begin to follow after Jesus in these moments of great desperation. But what did you expect? And oftentimes when he's helping us, we feel strong. But when we feel distant from him and we seem like things are going crazy and we're wondering where he is, oftentimes we don't want to continue in the faith. There was a community in Rome. Peter, the apostle, would write to this community and when he wrote to them, I just want you to understand the context. When he wrote to this community, they were being oppressed by, a, um, by the Roman Emperor Nero. He was oppressing all these Christians. Nero had burnt down much of Rome just for his entertainment, and he blamed it on the Christians. And so the Christians, a small band of people, started getting persecuted. And then he started torturing Christians. And when I say torture them, he would take the skins of wild beasts, wrap humans up in them, and then feed them to wild dogs. He would take wax and make like a shirt so that people would be in wax. And then he would hang them on trees and put them in his garden and burn the garden and he would say to his people, look at the Christians as they burn like candles. This wasn't the kind of trial like people don't like me and uh, people. I told somebody I was a Christian and they're not into me anymore. Not that kind of trial, I'm talking about life or death. And Peter wrote to this community and this is what he says in the context of this trial. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. He says, "Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be shocked. Don't spend all your time wondering this is strange, my rent is due when I don't have money. That's not, he's saying don't think this is strange. Don't spend all your time shocked, expect trials. And we too often inspect why is the trial happening as opposed to expecting it to come, don't be surprised. Maybe you thought that the Christian life or even your life would be a succession of victories one after another. Maybe you thought when you heard that the Holy Spirit was a helper, you took that literally like you're always going to help. And when things get hard, everything will be a help. Don't be surprised. This is the Christian life. This is it, baby. This is part of the plan. This is the Christian life. And he's saying, stop meditating on being shocked. Stop going deep and just delving into how hard it is. Now, notice what he says. He says, don't be surprised at the painful trial. Now, he says it hurts. Right, he says it's painful. So, what Peter is not saying is don't grieve. What Peter is not saying is suppress your emotions. What Peter is not saying is circumvent the reality that it's just confusing. He's not saying that. What he is saying, and this is so important. Hear me, hear me when I tell you this if you spend all your time being shocked, you will begin to live a life of self-pity. And you'll be like me. What? what me, man, me. What, why is this happening to me? All this, oh my gosh, like, people don't understand. Like they don't get, I must, my, my, you know, my situation is different. <laughs> my stuff is unique. My problems. And what this is telling us is this is, Do you see that word friends? Plural, trials, us, we are in a trial. We're all going through trials. And yours is unique, but trials aren't unique. It hurts, we're hurt. We're all hurting. We're all in trials. And he says "Be, be very careful. The command, church, this is a command from the word of God. Don't be surprised. Don't live in shock. And so, so what, what Peter says here is that it's a painful trial. And, and the word there in the Greek for painful is actually where we get the idea. Some of you in your Bible have the word fiery trial. a Fiery trial. And earlier in this same book, Peter references this idea of fiery And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in I love this all kinds of trials, all different types of stuff happening. Uh, Some versions say variety of trials. These have come. Here's the reason why they happen. This is why you are in a trial right now. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That is why you are in a trial. You are in what they call the refiner's fire. The silversmith would take metals and because these metals would have impurities in them, it would take away the look of the metal. It would darken the metal. And the only way to make a metal pure You can't chisel it out, you can't just yell at it, heat, fire, no, not 65, not 72 when it feels good, not 80, 95, 105, 130, now it's burning hot, and it's so hot that that metal, when it comes out, it won't be the same. The purpose of the heat is to change the metal. That's the whole purpose of it. It's not to have hot metal. It's to melt away the impurities. That's the whole point. What are, what is the point of your trial? What is God doing? And at core He is burning away every other motive and agenda in your life so that your faith, that everything would be about Jesus because God is a jealous God and he is not going to share you. He is not into co-glory. He's not going to share glory with anyone else. He wants to be the very center of what you hold on to. He wants to not only be the foundation of life, he wants to be the praise of your life, and if anything is distracting you, he wants to burn it away. The silversmith was once asked, how do you know when the impurities are all gone? The silversmith said, I burn away. I burn away, and I keep looking at it. I keep looking at it. I keep looking at the metal. And then I take the metal out. And then I look down. And it's when I can see myself in the metal is when I know it's done. That's what Jesus is doing in you. Jesus is conforming you to his image. He is making you more like him. Heat hurts. It hurts when you are rejected by the people you thought deeply loved you. It hurts when the dream you thought you have begins to whittle away right in front of you. It hurts when you have all these plans that you had your five year plan and your 10 year plan and you still like you really at year two but you fronting with people like you killing it but you know deep down in your heart you're sad about where you think you are. You feel emotionally, relationally, socially, materially stuck. And God has not given you what you think you wanted. And here, this fiery trial, Peter says, it's heat, Is heat coming into your life. To have the heat of a trial and to respond with realizing and knowing what God is doing, that this trial is about Jesus. What then do I do? Do I just sit there and just take the heat? Because I'm not a piece of metal, yo. I'm actually a person. What do I do? How far we take this analogy, right? So he says here, he tells us in verse 13, contrast, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So if I could whittle down all that set of verses, it's don't be surprised, but rejoice. Don't sit and stay shocked that you're in a trial. Rather, find joy in Jesus in the trial. Now, remind ourselves, remind yourself that what the scripture is telling us is to not find joy in the trial in and of itself. That would be weird. It is finding joy in knowing that God is at work in my life. It is finding joy in the fact that this will work out in the end. This is just a chapter in my life. There will be a to be continued. There will be another story. This is just a season of my life. This doesn't define my life. It's just a season. It's just a season. It's just a moment. No sweat. God will make me stronger. I'll get through this. I'll push through. I'm going to trust the Lord. And the joy comes from knowing that God is at work. The scripture tells us in in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that while Jesus Christ was on the cross dying for our sins, being a replacement for us on the cross, the Bible says that he was able to endure because he knew this would work out for joy that he would see you come to faith and that your life would transform. And so the joy was before him and he was anticipating what would what God would do. I was um I'm a big Giants fan. Any Giants fans in here? Um in by nature of being a Giants fan, means I'm not a Cowboys fan. And that's, if you're a Cowboys fan, we're one in Christ, I'm just. It was a couple years ago, but the um, it was a big game, and, um, and we had church during the game. And so I was so amped about this game, that I was like, yo, nobody tell me what happens, okay? And I didn't check my phone, right? And I I had it, you know, recorded. So I came home, watched the game. And we started losing. And now I'm like throwing stuff at the TV, getting a little emotional, you know, getting frustrated. And I'm just kind of losing my mind, like thinking like, what is going on? What is going on? And I realized while I was watching the game that I actually wasn't watching the recorded game, I was watching the NFL Network, which was playing the game back to me. But I was like, that's cool, you know, I'm seeing the game. And so in the middle of the game while we were down, I'm frustrated, I'm throwing stuff at the TV, I'm like, it's crazy. And then while I'm watching the game, you know the little ticker at the bottom? You know what I'm talking about, the little ticker at the bottom? The little ticker at the bottom actually told me the score (laughs) of the game that I was in the middle of being frustrated. And what's crazy is, we won. And I was sitting there like, this is crazy, what's going on, hallelujah, thank you God, Woo! So I sat back, I was mad, but I anticipated how it would end because I knew it would work out for victory. And what I'm telling you is that when you are in the middle of the trial, yeah, it's gonna be frustrated. it's gonna get crazy, but... God is leading us to triumph. He is leading us to victory. This is going to work out. And God is going to work it out. And God is going to grow you up and God is gonna build your faith up, and God is gonna make you stronger, and you're not gonna be as intimidated three years from now. You're gonna be stronger than now, and God has a whole story he's been weaving, and this does not define you. This season doesn't define you. You're gonna work through this. You're gonna build yourself up. You're gonna build other people up, but you've gotta learn not to be surprised. You you can't get surprised. I I, I believe you can be so built up that when your friend is going through it, you cry with them, but you sit and you say, now don't let the surprise keep you from praise. Don't, Don't let the surprise keep you from running to Jesus. Don't let the shock keep you from loving God and growing deeper in God. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it blows your mind. Yes, it can be shocking at first, but take time to fix your eyes on Jesus because it is going to work out and simultaneously it's gonna hurt. I believe this verse tells us several things. That we are called, when we are at the very, in the, in the heat, when you are in the heat, we are to focus on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And this is worship. That when we are allowing everything else to fall to the wayside, be in the peripheral and just think on Jesus and praise God and say, God, I know you're gonna do something with this. And this is breaking my heart, but I trust you anyhow. Just focus on him and run to him. I believe the other thing it's telling us is to, to follow his example. It says he endured. And so endurance is when you can, God can throw, he can allow things to come your way and you just keep pushing through and you just take the next step of obedience. Just whatever it is, when, when things are heaping on you and it feels like a tsunami, ask yourself, God, what would be most pleasing to you? Jesus, while he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but your will be done. I will just, if God, if you want me to endure this, I will endure, and and, and since that's the case, I will do your will, I will push through for your pleasure. And you take that next step of obedience. And the third is expect great results, anticipate what God is going to do. There is a whole ministry of helping people not live in surprise. Much of what I spend my time doing in counsel is helping people pull back from the situation they're in and just kinda step back, step back, look at the whole picture and see what God is doing. I I know, I know. It is hurting you, but just look at what God is doing. And many times, part of our problem is that we do not rewind and look at what God has already done in our life. Three years ago, you were a totally different person. I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. Last year, you had different situations going on and God brought you through them. Now you have spiritual amnesia and you have totally forgotten <laughs> what God did and now you're panicking again. Don't panic. Don't panic. If he brought you through last year and he brought you through before, he will do it again. Don't Panic, but rather, praise your God. One of the greatest challenges the believer has is starting to expect things from God. Expect that God is going to do great things through the most fiery of trials. To trust, and you know what? Who cares? Who cares what people say? Who cares? Yo, bump all that bad advice you get. Throw that away. Trust God anyhow. Just trust him. Just trust. I know it feels crazy. Just trust him. Just just believe on Christ that it is going to work out. But let me just give you a caveat real quick. And I just love the word of God because it just says stuff you need to say, you know, so you can clean house. He says this. He says, verse 15, if you suffer... Verse 15, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. He says, however, you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. What what Peter is saying here is there is a difference between persecution and consequence. It's like, it's like, I cussed my boss out for no good reason, and I got fired, and I believe this is Jesus. It's not Jesus. That's not the Lord. That ain't Jesus. That's not, that's none of the Trinity had anything to do with that. That is you bearing the consequence. Now, if you are living, listen, listen people who are living out Christian character, and it's just strange what's happening. It's like I didn't even do anything. It's like I was just trying to live out my faith. It was like I was just trying to honor God. I mean, yeah, I spoke up, but I was just trying to be real with them. No, I mean, I, I mean, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and all of a sudden, things are going wrong. That's strange. Like, that's persecution. Like, that's real. But don't let poor character make you think you're being persecuted. You know, I, I had this one guy, man. You ever uh, meet people who share the faith, but they're like bullies? They're essentially bullies. They're like mean. And they like punk people into Jesus. It's just like, I'ma just, I know all the answers, and I'ma just, I got this ninja star for Christ. I'ma just, just intimidate you to the cross. You know, and it's just like. And so we had this one student when I was doing college ministry, he was on campus, and he was always intimidating people. He's a very smart guy, and he was always intimidating people. And one day I was sitting down, and I was trying to like get him to understand, like, man, you are overwhelming and overbearing, and you're kind of mean. And he's like, that's what persecution's like. <laughs> and I was like, well, the Bible you know, calls us to have the fruit of the spirit and character, and I'm just trying to convince this guy. And he really believed that any trial he went through equated persecution, or, or persecution equals trial. And what I was trying to get him to understand is that God is, God is gonna use trials in our life to work on our character, yes, but some trials we bring on to ourselves. (laughs) Ask yourself, am I in the middle of the trial I'm in, I'm gonna just assume you're in a trial. In the middle of the trial I'm in, what is the most obedient thing I could do to honor God? What would be the most pleasing thing to God? I don't know okay search his word i don't know talk to someone godly what is the most obedient thing i could do that will honor our lord and father and continue a habit a pattern of life where when you bump up against a trial you recoil back into the lord and you just ask God, what are you doing? And you just worship God, and you see God, and you just ask yourself, what is the most obedient thing I could do that will bring you praise and glory and honor? <clears throat> In the book of Genesis, <clears throat> it's an incredible story. Abraham is considered the father of our faith, And in fact, many faiths at that. And it says of Abraham that Abraham in that region of the world, they all wanted children. In particular, they wanted a son. And he longed for a child. And God had not blessed him with a child. And they were getting old. And they weren't going to be able to have a child. And his wife was old. And then God told him, that he was gonna be able to have a young little boy named Isaac, and Isaac would grow up. And then one day the Lord told Abraham to sacrifice his son. At that time, sacrificing a child was a normative way that you would either give honor to an idol god or it was a normal way to respond to God, but it was not out of the realm of reality. Today, it sounds crazy. But God said, sacrifice the only child that you have, the child that you've been praying for, the child that you love, the only, your only son. Sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham said, okay and Abraham would go up to a mountain, and he said he was going to worship on this mountain, and he went to sacrifice his son. He would lay his son down, and getting ready to sacrifice his own son, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, he said, an angel came and said to Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And God took Abraham and gave him a boy that he loved, and he also told him, give me your boy back. And when he said, okay, here's the thing I love. Here's the thing I've been dreaming for. Here's all my hopes, all my dreams. Here, God, here, you have it. And the angel says, oh, now God sees. You see, he says, now I know. After this test, now I know that you'll give up your very dream for me you'll give up the very thing you've been thinking on and dreaming on for me. I really am your ambition. I really am your master passion. I really am the center of your desires. I am your highest one that you love. There's nothing else you're gonna hold on to to get in the way of me. You'll give me your son, your only son. Now I know. And God, right now, has you in a trial. And for some, it could be health. It could be hope. It could be dreams. And God is using the heat of a trial to look you in your eye and say, can I have it? Can I have it? And some of you are like, ooh. I, I, I was praying for a son so long, you know Sarah and I we, we never thought we would be able to do it, and when, when you told us that it's like you're, it's like you're going back on your pro- no no you can't have. you can't have this. You see, what you gave me is mine. It's not yours anymore. Hannah, the Bible says that she prayed and prayed and prayed that she would have a child. In 1 Samuel, it says that finally one day she just looked to the Lord, and it says that she almost looked drunk. She was in prayer. And she said, God, if you give me a child, I'll offer this child to you. I'll give him to you. I'll, I'll make him yours. I'll, I'll let him do whatever you want. I just, I just want this little baby. And there, Hannah would soon have a child, and she would dedicate that child to the service of the Lord. And there we see. There are Sundays when we do baby dedications. And we lift these children up and we dedicate them to God and say, God, they are yours. And that dedication, that concept, it comes. It comes out of that reality. It comes out of that verse. Would you, today, give God your very dreams? Is it okay if he takes it away? We, um, <laughs> we got this building situation going on, right? Y'all heard about that? For those of you that don't know, we are looking at a building Right, it's a lot of money and I'm 40 you know and, and, and there's something inside of me that kind of wants to make a mark in this world and this building's got like four floors and there's like another floor we didn't show you in the video so there's really five floors and I'm, sometimes I sit at home and I think about what it's going to be like to invite my family when we open up the doors. And on Saturday, we wrote out an offer for $2.1 million. And right now, we are praying that they would accept that offer. But is that building his or is it mine? God's like, can I have it? Am I still good if I don't give it to you? Is our relationship hinging on this building? You know, as a staff, we actually, like, sat down and we made the video, and we're like, yo, if we show them the video, they might get excited. And they might start dreaming. And if we don't get it, they'll be disappointed. And they'll look at us like bad leaders. And they'll think, man, those guys don't know what they're doing. And we wrestled and we were like, but what if we do dream and God doesn't give it to us? Is it God's dream? Or is it ours? Right now, God is whispering in your heart. Can I have it? Can I have your dream? And I pray that as we look to the Lord, that you would look to your God and say, Yes. When we lift our hands in worship, it is a sign of surrender, saying, God, have it all. Have it all. Burn away everything, God. I want to be that metal that looks like you. I want you to see yourself when you see me burning away, God. And you can even use the trial I'm in right now, God, to see yourself in me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would Put a picture in our mind of the fiery trial that we're in. For some of us, it is loneliness. For some of us, it is heartbreak. For some of us, it is some kind of dream that we have so longed for. And I pray in the name of Jesus, God, if we could just, like a child, dedicate ourselves and our dreams to our God. You can use whatever you want, God. You can use whatever you want, God, to burn away all my other motives and all my agendas, God, and just whittle it down to purity, God. I want a pure heart before you, God. And as we worship, God, let, remind us, remind us, God, of what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name. I stand. All is sand. All is sand. Well, now we'll have a time of communion. The folks from the back could come. And this is a picture of the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. For on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he also took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And it is through this great sacrifice that we now are able to experience a holy God. We pray that today that you are reminded of the sacrifice that you're making. We pray that God would use it for his praise, his glory, and his honor. Some of you today, you may not feel that you are on track with Jesus, that you are in a relationship with God. And we would ask that you would go to the back and you would talk to them and you would say, I wanna begin a journey with Jesus Christ. If you do that, Jesus Christ will radically change and transform your life. He will change you from the inside out, but you must make him Lord of your life, the head of your life. Others of you today, you just need to be prayed over. You just need to ask God to heal some wounds. Ask God to heal you of the shock and the surprise. Ask God to break the yoke of self-pity in your life. And just go to the back and just be prayed over. And so what's going to happen is you are in your own time. We ask that you would come down the middle of the aisles, take the communion, and then go back out the outer aisles, down the middle aisles, back out the outer aisles in your own time. Jesus, we love you. We ask, God, that during this time, let this be a holy moment, a great reminder, and build us up in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.